everyone here to finish island of the blue dolphins with you so yesterday karana was trying to make her new canoe because her canoes were lost in the earthquake and the tsunami when she saw a ship come and they came into the harbor they found the fire she was using to soften the pitch for her new canoe and they called out to her and she went back to her house gathered some things and then came down but by that point, a storm had come in and the men had left. So here we are with the last chapter. And then um, I want to read you the author's note about Island of the Blue Dolphins. It's only a page or so. So here we are with chapter 29, the final chapter of Island of the Blue Dolphins. After two more springs had gone. So two more springs means two years. So two spring seasons have come and gone. After two more springs had gone, on a morning of white clouds and calm seas, the ship came back. At dawn, I saw it from the headland far out on the horizon. When the sun was overhead, it lay anchored in Coral Cove. Until the sun went down, I watched from the headland while the men made camp on the shore and had built a fire. Then I went to my house. All night I did not sleep, thinking about the man who had once called to me. I had thought of his voice calling for a long time, since the night of the storm when the ship had sailed away. Every day during those two springs and two summers, I had gone to the headland and watched, always at dawn and again at dusk. In the morning, I smelled smoke from their fire. I went down to the ravine and bathed in the spring and put on my otter cape and my cormorant skirt. I put on the necklace of black stones and the black earrings. With blue clay, I made the mark of our tribe across my nose. Then I did something that made myself smile. I did what my older sister Ulab had done when she left the island of the blue dolphins. Below the mark of our tribe, I carefully made the sign which meant I was still unmarried. I was no longer a girl, yet I made it anyway using the blue clay and some white clay for dots. I went back to the house and then built a fire and cooked some food for Rantu Aru and me. I was not hungry and he ate my food and his too. We are going away, I said to him, away from our island. But he only put his head to one side, as his father often had done, and when I said no more, he trotted out to a sunny place and lay down and fell asleep. Now that the white men had come back, I could not think of what I would do when I went across the sea, or make a picture in my mind of the white men and what they did there, or see my people who had been gone so long, nor, thinking of the past of the many summers and winters and springs that had gone, could I see each of them. They were all one, a, a tight feeling in my breast and nothing more. The morning was full of sun. The wind smelled of the sea and the things that lived in it. I saw the men long before they saw the house in the headland, far off on the dunes to the south. There were three of them, two tall men and one who was short, who wore a long gray robe. They left the dunes and came along a cliff, and then seeing the smoke from the fire which I kept burning, they followed it and at last reached my house. I crawled under the fence and stood facing them. The man in the gray robe had a string of beads around his neck, and at the end of it was an ornament of polished wood. He raised his hand and made a motion toward me which was the shape of the ornament he wore. Then one of the two men who stood behind him spoke to me. His words made the strangest sounds I have ever heard. At first I wanted to laugh, but I bit my tongue. Um, if you're trying to figure out why they've described this man so much, he sounds like a um, Catholic monk. And um, 
in the colonizing of California, um, the Catholic Church and the Spani um, Spaniards used um, monks and they would go up and down through California and build missions and presidios. And um, so that was part of the colonizing effort. I shook my head and smiled at him. He spoke again, slowly this time, and though his words sounded the same as before and meant nothing to me, they now seemed sweet. They were the sound of a human voice. There is no sound like this in all the world. The man lifted his hand and pointed toward the cove and made a picture in the air of what could have been a ship. To this I nodded and pointed to myself and the three baskets I had placed by the fire, making a gesture of taking them with me to the ship. Also, the cage in which I would put two young birds. There were many gestures before we left, though two of the men spoke among themselves. They liked my necklace, the cape, and the cormorant skirt that shone in the sun. But when we got to the beach, their camp was the first thing the man who spoke the most did to tell the other's men was to make me a dress. I knew this is what he said because one of them stood in front of me and held a string from my neck to my feet and across my shoulders. The dress was blue. It was made of two trousers, just like the, the, just like those the white men were wearing. The trousers were cut up into pieces, and then one of the men sat down on a rock and put them together again with white string. He had a long nose, which looked like the needle he used. He sat all afternoon on the rock when the needle went back and forth, in and out, flashing in the sun. From time to time, he would hold up the dress and nod his head as if he were pleased. I nodded as if I were pleased too, but I was not. I wanted to wear my cormorant skirt and my otter cape, which were much more beautiful than the thing he was making. The dress reached from my throat to my feet, and I did not like it, either the color of it or the way it scratched. It was also hot. But I smiled and put my cormorant skirt away in one of the baskets to wear when I got across the sea, sometime when the men were not around. The ship stayed in Coral Cove nine days. It had come for otter, but the otter had gone. Some must have been left, after all, who remembered the Aleuts, for on that morning there were none to be seen. I knew where they had gone. They had gone to Tall Rock, but when the men showed me the weapons they had brought to kill the otter, I shook my head and acted as if I did not understand. They pointed to my otter cape, but I still shook my head. I asked them about the ship that had taken my people away many years before, making the signs of the ship and pointing to the east, but they did not understand. Not until I came to the Mission Santa Barbara and met Father Gonzalez did I learn from him that the ship had sunk in a great storm soon after it had reached his country, and that on the whole ocean thereabouts there was no other. For this reason, the white men had not come back for me. So we find out that the ship that took her people never actually made it to the mainland. It sunk in a storm. On the tenth day we sailed. It was the morning of blue skies and no winds. We went straight toward the sun. For a long time, I stood and looked back at the island of the blue dolphins. The last thing I saw of it was the high headland. I thought of Rontu lying there beneath the stones of many colors, and Wanani, wherever she was, and the little red fox that was scratched in vain at my fence, and my canoe hidden in the cave, and of all the happy days. Dolphins rose out of the sea and swam before the ship. They swam for many leagues in the morning and through the bright water, weaving their foamy patterns. The little birds were chirping in their cage, and Rantu Aru sat beside me. The end. So, 
I do want to read the author's note now. So this was written by Scott O'Dell, and it tells um, what he thinks of the story, which we now know, um, if you read the New ZLA article, that a lot of what he wrote was exaggerated and not based on fact. For my childhood, I was always told that most of Island of the Blue Dolphins was true. Um, And we now know that a lot of it is not and is just made up. So I'd like to read you what he wrote. Author's note. The island called in this book, the Island of the Blue Dolphins, was first settled by Indians in about 2000 BC, but it was not discovered by white men until 1602. In that year, the Spanish explorer, Sebastian Vizcano, set out from Mexico in search of a port where treasured galleons from the Philippines could find shelter in case of distress. Sailing north along the California coast, he sighted the island, sent a small boat ashore, and named it La Isla de la San Nicolas, in honor of the patron saint of sailors, travelers, and merchants. So um, we call it um, San Nicolas Island, is its official name now, but um, it also had a Spanish name because California before, so California was settled by Native Americans first, and then Spain came in and conquered it and um, created colonies there. And then when um, Mexico became a free state, the Californian land actually transferred over to Mexico. So California belonged to Mexico for a long time until it ended up as one of the states of the United States of America. So that's sort of the timeline that goes on. So that's why so many names in California are actually in Spanish. As the centuries pass, California changed from Spanish to Mexican hands and the Americans arrive, but only occasional hunters visited the island. Its Indian inhabitants remained in isolation, meaning they didn't have contact with others. The girl Robinson Caruso, whose story I have attempted to recreate, actually lived alone on this island from 1835 to 1853 and is known to history as the lost woman of San Nicolas. Um, Robinson Crusoe was a story written about a man who was shipwrecked. So he's saying it's a lady who lived alone on the island. So she lived alone on the island from 1835 to 1853. So that's almost 20 years there. Um, 30 years. Goodness. No, I'm not crazy. That's 20. The facts about her are few. From the reports of Captain Hubbard, whose schooner carried away the Indians of Galasat, we know that the girl did jump into the sea despite efforts to restrain her. From records left by Captain Nidever, we know that he found her 18 years later alone with a dog in a crude house on the headland dressed in a skirt of cormorant feathers. Father Gonzalez of the Santa Barbara Mission, who befriended her after her rescue, learned that her brother had been killed by wild dogs. He learned little else, for she spoke to him only in signs. Neither he nor the many Indians at the mission could understand her strange language. The Indians of Galastat had long since disappeared, which that makes sense. Um, If you live on an island and you don't ever visit with other people from other islands or from the mainland, you're going to have a language that's different from everyone else's. The lost woman of San Nicolas is buried on a hill near the Santa Barbara mission. Her skirt of green cormorant feathers was sent to Rome. Um, Rome is in Italy and it's where the head of the Catholic Church is. So because the missions were Catholic in religion and they were run by the Catholic Church, that's why Rome would get her skirt. 
Outermost of the eight Channel Islands, San Nicolas is about 75 miles southwest of Los Angeles. For years, historians thought that it had been settled by some, some six centuries ago, but recent carbon-14 tests of excavations on the island show that Indians came here from the north long before the Christian era. Their images of creatures of the island, sea, and air, similar to those found on the shores of Alaska and carved with extraordinary skill, may be seen at the Southwest Museum in Los Angeles. The future of San Nicolas is not clear. It is now a secret base of the United States Navy, but scientists predict that because of the pounding waves and the furious winds, it will one day be swept back into the sea. That's not what happens to islands. Um, it could erode though over time, but being swept out into the sea, it doesn't float. They're land masses. In the writing of Island of the Blue Dolphins, I am deeply indebted to Modern Delos Loveless, to Bernice Eastman Johnson of the Southwest Museum, and to Fletcher Carr, formerly curator of the San Diego Museum of Man. So um, that's what Scott O'Dell has to say about, about this story. I think it's still a, a great story. I mean, I read it when I was little. Um, my mom read it when she was little. It was actually written in 1960. So um, this book is actually um, 60 years old at this point. Um, but it's also good to take it with a grain of salt, knowing that um, in the past 60 years, we have understood that hijacking a culture and, and making up stories that have to do with it um, isn't necessarily a very culturally respectful thing to do um but i would say islands of the blue dolphins is still part of the california legacy and that we can learn from it um but i choose to take it as much more of a good piece of fiction and less of a historical record because there's not a whole bunch of truthful historical facts in here but it's still a wonderful piece of California literature. I hope you enjoyed it. I loved reading this when I was younger and, and I, I read it in fourth grade. Um, so I hope you enjoyed it and I hope you enjoyed our read alouds this year. I'm gonna miss reading to you guys. I hope you enjoy and I hope you keep reading this summer. Bye. Bye.